Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Well Projects Leadership Exchange podcast. The Well Projects Leadership Exchange is a series connecting thought leaders in the HIV community to explore one another's work, activism, and personal experiences. This series brings together cis and trans women and others who uplift women's voices across the HIV community in dialogue. Today's episode features two longtime members of the Well Project's Women's Research Initiative on HIV AIDS, Gina Brown, RSW, who is also the Well Project's Community Advisory Board Chair, and Dr. Chuck Wira. Join us to learn more about the ways they are both working to change the landscape of HIV for women. I am Gina Brown, a community advisory board member at the Well Project and the community engagement manager at the Southern AIDS Coalition. And I have the privilege of meeting with Mr. Your name, sir? Chuck. Chuck Weira. And tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm a research scientist. Uh, this, this June, I became professor emeritus at uh, uh, Geyser School of Medicine at Dartmouth. Um, I grew up uh, in, uh, with a love of agriculture that led me to uh, uh, graduate school. And from there, uh, I switched from general agriculture to reproductive biology. And uh, that led me through my studies uh, here at Dartmouth, where I got my PhD degree, and then uh, a couple of years at the University of Paris as a postdoc fellow. I was very fortunate to uh, return to the United States and uh, join the faculty here at Dartmouth, uh, where I've been for the last 45, 48 years. Uh, and um, we, we, we can talk more about the work that I do, but it, uh, it's been an ongoing love of my life to, uh, to do both basic, uh, to, to do basic, basic research. Oh. That's the formal part. Now it's very informal. I really wanted to talk to you, Chuck, because I always, from the moment I met you, I've been fascinated. Um, not only because of the work you're doing, but because of your presence. You're one of those people that um, come into a room and we feel safe. If it gets warmer when you walk in a room. Um, you embraced me, you and your wife and my grandson. And when um, the opportunity came to say, you know, who from the WRI would you like to interview? You were the first person that came to mind. Um, I remember when we first met and I found out about the work you were doing, I was really, really um, fascinated. And now to hear that you were involved in agriculture, I didn't even know that. <laughs> so I learned something new already about you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you do. Um, I remember you, you did a paper on the trauma in the genital tract of women, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, and the impact of uh, tenofovir and TAF on it. But uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, just, to, just, to go, just to go back. Uh, meeting you was one of the uh, wonderful experiences of my life. Uh, you know, I, I, I grew up uh, in a family uh, of, people that were Czechoslovakian, Hungarian background, and they, they were really very open in their, in their feelings. And that, uh, that was one of the strengths. 
but uh, both of my parents were very actively involved in community and, and projects in which they um, cared for other people. And uh, I'll give you just one example. Um, just after World War II, there was a hospital uh, out on Long Island, the Holleran Hospital, uh, where a lot of the uh, uh, disabled uh, vets came and uh, had no place to go. Uh, my mother organized a group of about 30, 40 women that went there monthly uh, to give birthday parties and um, uh, just share uh, life after the war with them. And my dad was a founder of, of a police reserve force in Edison, New Jersey for about 30 or 40 years. And those are only two examples. There, there are so many more that sort of influenced me to, uh, uh, to, ca to care about other people. And uh, so, you know, we build on, we build on the shoulders of, of others, but uh, it's been a wonderful gift that they gave me because uh, it allowed me to, uh, to see other people as individuals uh, and to really to uh, reach out and, and try to make a difference. Uh, part of that uh, also came from my upbringing and, and in, in my religion as, as a Catholic uh, to, 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 to care for others. Now, I, I've got all sorts of faults and if we had time, I could invite my wife in and she could certainly give you a nice list of those. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the reality of it is that, uh, this, uh, that, it's, uh, that I've been fortunate to be able to uh, interact uh, with a lot of wonderful people. And, and the tragedy is, is that I think for so many of us, uh, uh, we, we go through life uh, meeting other people and just seeing the shortcomings and things like that rather than the, than the strengths and the gifts that they have under conditions of real adversity. So, Gina, I'm going to come back to you right now because what made that first evening very special was realizing that, uh, you know, you were, you were HIV positive, but you didn't let it, uh, you didn't let it control you or, 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 or uh, hold you back. You had, a, you had a vision of wanting to be an activist and not only uh, control your own disease, much in the way that Dawn did. And I, Dawn has been an admirer of mine uh, for the last 30 years that I've known her uh, because we met very early on. But with you, uh, when we talked and you were kind enough to share things with me, I found out that not only did you care about others in your community that were, um, uh, that, that were, were struggling with HIV, but that you had very difficult family uh, uh, connections. And, uh, you know, we all have troubles, every one of us, my, myself included, uh, with, with children or our loved ones. And um, you, you, uh, you're one of the most wonderful people that I ever met as I realized what you did uh, for your son and under very difficult circumstances to be there for him while he couldn't be there. And then even through to, you know, really raising, raising your grandson, uh, which, which is, what's he about 15 right now? As he's I remember. 10. He's um, 10. Yes. 10, 10 he, he think he's 20. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that goes with the territory. Uh, <laughs> But like I was saying, I know that it's something more that, that draws you to this work and to being able to do it the way you do it. Can we talk a little bit about that? 
Sure, happy to. Yes. Well, my, as I said, my background was in agriculture and I, I fell in love with reproductive biology. So when it came time for me to really want to become a farmer, I realized that uh, I wasn't a millionaire and uh, there was no chance that I was going to marry into it. Uh, so uh, I went to graduate school and uh, up at Michigan State and then here at Dartmouth. But reproductive biology was the core. And for the first 15 years of my life, um, I carried out studies in, in animal models, asking about uh, looking at an area that really had been understudied. And that was, what is the role of hormones during the reproductive cycle? Uh, it's the estrous cycle, it's called in, in rats and mice, uh, and menstrual cycle in, 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 in humans, you know. But what is the impact of, uh, of these hormones during the cycle uh, on uh, the immune system? which exists throughout the entire reproductive tract. And those studies in the, in the animal model led to uh, um, a grant being written that uh, actually, um, I can tell you the truth, there's never been a straight road. I, I had this grant, these grants for about 15 years, and then they lapsed. And I was without research money for quite a while uh, and I was able to find some bridge funding. What happened then was that when I wrote another uh, grant, uh, it, it was funded. I received a merit award uh, from the NIH and then an invitation to put together a program project. A program project is a total of three or four individual research grants with core facilities that would handle this in an integrated way. And they said that I could do it on anything I wanted. And that was then that I talked to, it was then that I talked to uh, my colleagues in obstetrics and gynecology, um, immunology, path and pathology, and physiology. And I was very fortunate to be surrounded by wonderful people that were really interested. So we wrote this grant, it got funded, uh, four years later, it got renewed. Five years later, it got renewed. And then we went and went on to, uh, to write another one. So there was this gap of about, uh, tw interval, I should say, of about 12 years that allowed us to really focus in, uh, in a way, on the immune system in women um, and how hormones were modulated into in preparation for implantation and pregnancy. And this then brought us to the interval of time when uh, I guess in the mid late nineties that HIV really hit uh, home and people began to think of it as a, uh, a sexually transmitted disease. Uh, so it was almost a, uh, uh, a perfect crossroads with HIV and what we were doing, looking at the immune system. So that was the turning point in my life where uh, even though the program project grant didn't say anything about HIV, we brought that in and that has been an integral uh, part of, of, of my studies since then. Uh, we, we, we sort of did it in a, in a way that was different from a lot of by obtaining hysterectomy specimens from women uh, following surgery and working only with those portions of the reproductive tract that were free of disease. 
So over those years, I was very fortunate to get um, healthy tissue from the fallopian tube, the uterus, endocervix, ectocervix, and even, even the vagina. And with excellent help from pathology, we were able to look at the stage of the menstrual cycle and the impact that it had on both innate and adaptive immunity. So, and, and then as you know, innate immunity is that immune protection, which is, autumn, is always there uh, by, um, and doesn't require any, any priming or anything like that. In contrast, the adaptive immune system uh, it includes both the production of antibodies as well as T cells and other cells that are capable of, 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 of killing. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a fascinating journey and we've had a number of very interesting things that have come out of that, that uh, I think that have had an impact on, uh, uh, on our understanding of HIV and AIDS. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I think sometimes we forget all of the research that goes into the whole of a woman, you know, um, I know for myself, I never really think about, or I never really thought about how HIV was impacting any of my hormones or any of my reproductive organs or anything. I never thought about any of that because I always thought of HIV as a bloodborne thing and it was just flowing through my body. And so when I met you and I was seeing your research and different things, that really fascinates me. So tell me, so tell me about yourself, okay? What, uh, I, I, I know you've got this wonderful grandson. T tell us a little bit about it and, uh, and some of the challenges that you faced uh, with, uh, with, with, uh, with, with your life because you really have succeeded in so many different ways. Yes, so my grandson, you know, I have two grandsons, but one lives with me, um, Jawan, the little one. Oh. And he's with us permanently now. His mom passed away in May. So he's here um, and I'm trying to straddle that fine line of being a grandmother and being a mom. And yeah. sometimes it get kind of blurred <laughs> and I become mom, mom, you know, um, my son is home. Right. He's not working anything now, but you know, with coronavirus, it's kind of hard to find a job, but he's home. Um, yeah. And I'm still working. Well, he's I'm just still doing. Uh, uh, now your son is home, but your son has special training now, right? Which he was yes. able to pick up? Yes. Welding. Yes. Welding. And, um, uh -huh. So we're all living together, me, him, my daughter, my grandson, we're all in the same house. Um, I'm still working. I'm with Southern AIDS Coalition. It's kind of hard right now not being able to be with people, you know, um, the HIV community is my family. That's my community. And not being able to see yeah. everybody has been really, really hard. Um, it kind of not so much brings me back to childhood because that was like the darkest time of my life, you know, um, all the things I endured as a child. But it brings me back to almost the beginning of my, of my diagnosis when I self-isolated. So now I'm isolated because of a pandemic. But it's that same feeling, you know, I don't want to call people. I don't want to bother anybody. I kind of want to just do it on my own. But I'm learning that, um, that even in a time like this, we have to be honest and call people and tell them when we're lonely, call them and tell them when 
whatever's going on in our life, you know, we need to still talk to people and still be, um, at least I do, I, I still need to be a part of the community. So, um, yeah. being able to, we, we did something great this summer with the Well Project. It was called Stand Well at Home. And um, every, every other week, somebody would present and we would all get on and have discussions. And it was really, really good. So it was giving us an opportunity to still stay connected, even though we were at home, you know. Um, Kristen Jenner thinks like that. Their minds, you know, they're always thinking of ways to bring the women together. They're always thinking of ways to make sure that we're, we're healthy and we're well. So I really appreciated that this summer. That, that's wonderful. You'd asked me, you'd asked me a while back about, uh, about my research. And uh, one of the things, and we've done things with this wound healing that uh, I had talked about uh, when, when we first met. And in fact, it showed that uh, tenofovir uh, interfered with wound healing of the uh, uh, epithelial cells of, of the genital tract. And even though they close back over, their ability to function and, and provide protection was really, uh, uh, was really compromised for an extended period of time. And if you did a, a, a vaginal exam uh, on a woman, uh, you might not see that injury, but that doesn't mean that the, the, the barrier protection of those cells is, is really there. So there's, there's a lot to do, lot to do with uh, still a lot of work to be done in that area as, as clinical trials go forward. But what I did want to share with you is a, a new area of research that I'm involved in. And I was very fortunate to uh, receive a grant uh, about two years ago from the National Institutes of Aging. And this grant uh, is different from anything that I did, but still is really connected to, uh, to HIV research. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that uh, uh, by 2030, there's going to be over 1.4 billion people uh, worldwide uh, that are um, um, over 60 years of age. And of those individuals, uh, two-thirds of them are women. It turns out that uh, some studies that are not really widely recognized, though, is that the incidence of sexually transmitted uh, infections, including syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, herpes, and HIV, uh, are increasing quite rapidly. In fact, up by 38% from 2010 in the population of, uh, of, of women aged 50 to 70 years of age. So there's, there's this epidemiological evidence out there that women are at increased risk for all of these comorbidities, uh, these, these uh, uh, infections, uh, as well as cervical, endometrial, and uh, uh, ovarian cancer. But nothing is really understood, uh, or very little is, about the immune system uh, in the genital tract of women as it functions following menopause, not during it, because our work has always looked at menopause as, as, as a block. But what we're doing right now is asking fundamental questions about the immune system in the years after menopause. So from about 60 or 55 up to 80, one of the uh, 
we, we received tissues actually from a patient a while back, 87 years of age. And we've been able to look at a number of parameters and the really, the real shock, uh, and I say shock because I, I don't go into any experiment with preconceived notions of what are gonna be going on. But the truth is this, this barrier protection that I was talking to you about with the epithelial cells, that's compromised as women get older. And we could see the, uh, uh, the, the protective level of, the, of, of the, that epithelial lining decreasing. We've also found that the innate immune system and one of these wonderful molecules, SLPI, secretory leukocyte protease inhibitor, which kills HIV, is not made by these cells after menopause. Now, there may be that there are other molecules that come in and compensate, but that's what we're trying to figure out. But here, one of the key regulators of model of protection really um, is, 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 is absent. And also the immune cells that are there. These guys decrease in numbers, their functions change. So I feel sort of like a schoolboy uh, in, a, in a brand new sandbox that uh, is allowing us to ask all of these really important questions um, as, uh, as it relates to uh, susceptibility to HIV infection and other infections as, as women grow older, because we know that there is the acquisition of new infections after menopause and as, as women get older. So that's gonna, so if we have a conversation again, next time we get together, I'll let you know more about what's going on, but there's three more years to this grant, and uh, I'm hopeful that uh, uh, the, as, the, as successful as we've been, because I've got a great group of people in my laboratory that are doing the work, that uh, we will be able to make progress to, uh, to help in the same way that uh, our studies uh, earlier on during the menstrual cycle, which opened up that window of vulnerability and uh, susceptibility to infection after, uh, at a time when um, fertilization would be taking place, that uh, we'll, we'll be able to shed some light on the other area as well. But I just wanted to let you know that uh, uh, I'm an emeritus, but I've not allowed myself to be turned out into the pasture yet. That's good. Well, I do That's go into the pasture to. every day because I got to feed my horses. <laughs> I got to feed my horses, but you know what I mean. Yes. So, but we need you doing this work. We really do. Um, I have one last question for you, and this is really, really like for me. I want to know this: <laughs> a woman who's living with HIV is menopause harder on us or? <laughs> Because I feel like it's like the hardest on me that than anybody on earth. Does it doesn't me having an HIV diagnosis have anything to do with how I'm experiencing menopause? You know, very honestly, Gina, you could write a grant on that. You could submit a grant to, to study that. I I have no idea about what what the answer to that would be. Maybe other people listening to this uh, this tape will have some insight. But you have really identified a real gap in uh, in what our, our our understanding. I know that uh, I know that going through menopause uh, is very difficult for some women. 
uh, and not quite as difficult for, for others. And this probably varies with the, uh, uh, the rapidity of which hormone production stops and, and, and things like that. But, you know, estradiol and progesterone have effects on every single cell in your body. Every single cell contains the receptors for estradiol. And in the absence of that hormone or the dampening down of it very sharply, these, these cells respond. So, uh, uh, and I guess, you know, I couldn't even hazard a good guess to your question. This is one of the, this is, you know, you, you, you really think outside the box and you think very intuitively and that's an excellent, excellent question. It, it, it really is. So I have a question for you. Yes. You and I, we're both reaching the midpoint of our lives, I hope. Uh, so uh, what do you see as your, what do you see as uh, what you would like to accomplish within the next five or 10 years? I would really like to start an organization for women and their girls who are not living with HIV. Because I think it's really important if we're talking about ending the HIV epidemic and we're just talking to each other, we're not going to end it. And I think it's really important to work with people who are vulnerable, whether they are sexually active or not, they're vulnerable because they're poor, because they live in a certain zip code. And they, they're experiencing a lot, of, a lot of violence in those zip codes. So to work with women and their girls, um, I have a saying that sounds really cheesy, but I love it. And I want to help bring them from poverty to possibilities. Because if you don't know that you can go to school, you're not going to go. If you don't know that you can have a better life, you're not going to try to achieve a better life. So really taking people out of the environment they're in and then introducing them into environments that they may want to become a part of. So taking them to college campuses instead of the prisons. Everybody goes to prisons to take kids who are acting out. Let's take them to college campuses and show them where we want them to go, not where we don't want them to go. And with women, if it's, if, if it's an abusive relationship or whatever, help them make better decisions, help them achieve greater things in their lives. So that's what I want to do in the next five years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I think that is amazing. That, you know, yeah, you leave me speechless on that. I, I, I am really touched. That, uh, uh, that is a, uh, how did you, how did you arrive at this as a, as, as a goal? Because that is, almost exact it it, it it is so important um it's a it, and it's a voice that is not very very often heard uh of advocacy i mean with the unique twist that you have on it even nationally uh so so important um that uh, if you ever decide to form that organization i would be very happy to help you in any way that i could i mean that Thank sincerely you. That, uh, that, is, that is awesome, just awesome. Yep, I am gonna do it um, because I know that it's needed. You know, and what made me come to this conclusion was I think about my own life and all of the places where the, the chance to help me was missed. 
So I can remember being in first grade and acting out sexually. And my first grade teacher not, not questioning me, trying to find out why, why I was doing these things. I can remember being in seventh grade and being a certain way and no one questioning why I was that way. So I wanna really help kids who are going through things that, um, that adults we sometimes pretend we don't see, but we see it. You know, so that little girl who's mm-hmm. acting out, she's not acting out because she's bad. She may be acting out because things are happening at home that she can't talk about. So giving them the outlet to be able to do that. I wanna make, make it where children are children again, especially little black girls. Yeah, it's, a, it's a form of empowerment that uh, uh, you, you don't hear very much about, but which is so critical for, for success. Uh, you know, um, I've known for a long time that if, uh, if, if you, uh, a child's self-esteem is so fragile that it can be destroyed. And one of those things that came out of that parent effectiveness training course, it took about 30, 40 years ago now, was that for each time you criticize a child, you had to give three pluses to uh, 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 positive things because to offset that it did, you couldn't do an offset in terms of a child's uh, um, self-esteem by just a single correction that, uh, that because of that fragility, it has to be, uh, there have to be multiple steps. Um, I, you know, I, I was involved years ago in uh, putting together our course for our medical students on child sexual abuse. And that wound up going into the, into our community to empower uh, young girls and boys uh, to be able to say no and uh, um, and 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 to talk about it, uh, but uh, you in what you're doing right now or what you're proposing is taking that to a whole new level, and I, I think that's wonderful. And it's it's the gift that you may not you may not you you may not uh, realize the immediate results, but to do something like that really is the gift that keeps on giving. It's a generational thing. Yeah. And if you can help mothers to help their daughters, um, then it's those daughters that are going to be there for the next generation as well. So, yep. so that's, uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you. Well, I've certainly enjoyed talking with you. I have uh, too. Whether, whether, <laughs> whether they, whether they whether they use anything on this camera, I, uh, on this video, is not important. But it's so great to be able to have caught up with you and uh, uh, just uh, just connect the way the way we used to. Yes. Uh, this may be the time that if we had planned this a little bit better, this would be the time for us to each go grab a glass of wine and uh, toast one another. So, but. Uh, but it's been it's been wonderful talking with you, and uh, you know we, we we should we should do this again in a few months, whether uh, whether it's being recorded or not, because yes. uh, I've missed not talking with you. Yes, I've missed you so much. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you, Take and it's been great you. seeing you. And I've been looking out your window, and I'm like, oh, I could go and walk in those and over there in those little trees oh. and. And I bet the leaves change yeah. and the colors and, oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah, the leaves all came off as of about two weeks ago. Uh, and in fact, in talking with you, the sun has come out for the first time in three days. So uh, 
we got to talk more. We do yes. have to talk more. <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening to the fifth episode of the Well Project's Leadership Exchange podcast. You can watch and listen to more episodes on our website, thewellproject.org backslash exchange. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. And please don't forget to share.